0: All right, Bobby Gill, what did we talk about today?
1: We talked about bison. We talked about climate change. Coffee, We fasting. talked about coffee. We talked about fasting. How to change the world. We talked about ultra running. We talked about leather.
0: You crazy fuck. <laughs> ultra runner. I love that you did that. Talked about it's, a lot of stuff. It's such a good podcast, guys. Please listen in, especially at the end. Bobby is with Savory Institute. It's a nonprofit organization that teaches farmers and all of these incredible people that want to change the world, how to do regenerative agriculture, not just sustainable. So please listen in on how you can help. He has an epic, no pun intended, <laughs> giveaway that is happening right now. The link is the first link in this podcast. Even a dollar helps. It's going to be a two-month-ish giveaway, and you can enter to win a trip to Rome Ranch and a ridiculous, ridiculous, smarter than me, cooler, (laughs) (laughs) full of really good, sustainable, and regenerative source meets.
1: There's a difference between sustainable and regenerative, and that's what we talk about.
0: Yep, which is so cool. You guys are going to love it, so please listen in. Um, I had just quick intro before we dive into all the goodness. I launched Platform Strength last week, so if you are in Denver on September 22nd, the technical classes are sold out, but do not worry. There are so so much fun to be had. I'm going to have a tarot card reader. I'm going to have gluten-free beer. I'm going to have teas. So if you can't make the class, just come in anyway. It is free for all. We have live music from my girl Aubrey and Kathleen up on the rooftop. Um, MPAC workouts, touch the MPACs, out with the MPACs. Give me a hug. Let's celebrate this amazing gym that is opening on September 22nd. I would love for you to be here regardless of if you can make the workout or not. And that was kind of my big piece of news. I think that's it. We do have online programming that's launched. If you have any questions about how the programming, how the gym will look, um, really what it's about, just make sure you follow us on Platform Strength, which is our Instagram, as we are putting in the equipment, you will be the first to see it. And so you can really see it come to life. And also email us support at platformstrength.com. Boom. Let's get into this podcast with Bobby Gill. (laughs) I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. get shit done mug. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Po- oh, what's, welcome to the podcast, Bobby Gill. Hello, hello. What was your full name?
1: <laughs> Robert Andrew Gill.
0: Robert Andrew Gill. Do most people go by Bobby if their name is Robert?
1: I think so. Well, well, if their name is Robert, you could go by Bob or Bobby or Robbie. or Ro- Like you could go by anything.
0: And you've always been Bobby.
1: Yeah. Because well, my dad is Bob. So I didn't start to go by bob when i you know became an adult i just kept bobby to,
0: to i can't even work. imagine like a two-year-old being called bob <laughs> come here bob <laughs> it's definitely a bobby yeah, uh, yeah, yeah we are currently on the rooftop of platform strength if you hear a little noise it's because we are outside and it's so nice it's like the first teaser of maybe fall in denver <sighs> yes. i love fall there's this really funny um pumpkin it was like a BuzzFeed post of somebody just like snuggling with a pumpkin in bed. <laughs> <laughs> that is me. I am so ready for fall. I, uh, I, I
1: didn't see you put any pumpkin spice in that coffee cup that you're drinking.
0: Right I am there. not a fan of the PSL. No. Otherwise known as the pumpkin spice latte, uh, because I w- I worked at Starbucks and I just judged everybody. If you drink PSLs, I'm sorry, but I judge so harshly. PSLs are literally. I'm not exaggerating. At least forty to five, forty-five to fifty grams of sugar. Ooh. Like, I'm not kidding you. Each oh my pump. God. Each pump is like a fifteen gram pump. And people
1: get extra pumps in those. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Because fall.
1: <laughs> because fall. But hey, that's what it's all about. That's yeah. what fall is all about pumpkin spice lattes and, and Ugg boots
0: yes oh yeah. gosh I and, no, like
1: and people can't see us right now but I am drinking a pumpkin spice latte and wearing Ugg boots. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Uh, this is so this is great because we've been wanting to do true. this forever who knows maybe it is true they now know <laughs> um, this is so fun because we've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time we work together you're wearing an epic shirt this is like um, how we yeah. kind of found each other actually no it's not we met actually by hiking 14ers
1: yeah years was ago so fun. actually when we were out hiking those 14ers I remember you Saying, you're like, I have an idea to start a podcast.
0: Did I really? And you
1: were talking about it, and we brainstormed a bunch of potential guests and themes that you could use. And this was, I mean, God, this was years ago. When was
0: that? Yeah. Uh, three years ago?
1: Two to three years ago. Yeah. I don't know. It was a while ago. But it was, it's awesome to see how this has grown, how the podcast has come to life, how you've had all these incredible guests. And then now you've launched, I've, I want to say, like 20 million additional businesses. <laughs> in addition to everything else that you do, and now we're here on the rooftop of your gym, which is How crazy. Badass.
0: Are you going to be able to come to the opening day?
1: Uh, when is it?
0: September 22nd.
1: I hope so. If I'm in town, yes, I will absolutely okay, be there.
0: Cool. We're going to be throwing around some impacts on the rooftop. Ooh. We actually had this really funny thing happen that um, the Eventbrite said 30 people, because I just didn't want to overbook and... I know it's like a very one day thing. So yeah. I just want to make people feel like comfortable. And if it's too crowded, it's not comfortable, right? But then Eventbrite accidentally made it. 90 people and so we have 90 people at our nine o'clock but we're gonna figure it out we're gonna have half of the people up here half of the people down there and it'll be totally fine so if you are listening and you're coming to my nine o'clock just be prepared this was not expected or (laughs) planned and i'm sorry in advance but it's gonna be it's gonna be epic so
1: it'll be epic as my shirt says as
0: your shirt says and so let's just jump into how you got connected with epic um sure i love seeing the progression of you like when we first when we're driving to these 14ers one of our biggest um um, our connections that we had that was this, that was uh, probably the biggest was Rob Wolf. We both mm-hmm. just had, you know, whether it was meeting him in person or just loving his work. And so that's how I knew that you were going to be somebody that I wanted in my life mm-hmm. because of the knowledge that you had. You have been in this world, paleo, sustainable eating, um, somewhat keto. Lately
1: dabbling in keto. Dabbling in keto. You know, as with anything, you need to – to try things out and see what works for you and what doesn't. And, you know, I've been in the ancestral health space, you know, paleo diet, whatever you want to call it, since 2008, I want to say. I remember when Rob Wolf's book came out. And that's really when I started diving into this and started going to the paleo effects conference and the ancestral health symposium and, you know, knew all a lot of those um paleo bloggers from back in the day like diane sanfilippo and nom nom paleo and yeah. all those guys
0: way back in the day way
1: back the ogs
0: diane sanfilippo just posted a picture of her like from even five years ago and it was like unrecognizable <laughs> it's like we have all grown so much i've got so i've fun. got
1: a picture of her reading um so before her balanced bites book came out we had a a, a bunch of us all had a house together in austin at paleo effects and on the shelf at, the, at this Airbnb house that we rented was the book Skinny Bitch. Oh my <laughs> the gosh, the vegan book! And so I've got this picture of Diane reading the book Skinny Bitch, which I think is just hilarious because it's a vegan book, yep. and that's clearly the opposite. The opposite of. Um, but yeah, that's one for the files that I will threaten to pull out someday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, talk about your own health journey because I think we all have like a a moment that we s- we start asking for more more answers than the typical dogma, low fat, low calorie, exercise more. What was your switch?
1: For me, I was, I was actually an ultra marathon runner, uh, for many years, uh, back when I was living in DC, probably for, um, about 2008, I think is when I started running ultras and, you know, I was running 50Ks all the way up to 100 milers, and I was doing pretty good at it. Um, you know, I got second place in the Old Dominion 100 miler, ran that in 19 hours and 11 minutes. That's insane. Um, okay,
0: we had to talk about this. <laughs> How the hell were you like, oh, we'll just do a 5K, and then all of a sudden, it's a 5th Let's just add a zero to the, bo- to the end of that five. Like, to me, that is like, what?
1: Well, when most people start training for marathons... It's like a 16-week program that they follow, and you build up your your mileage every week. Um, And then when they go and do their marathon, they stop running altogether, and so they lose all that aerobic capacity that they've built over the past 16 weeks. In ultra running, it's really just continuing on with that same progression of adding another 10% each week and keep going and going and going. Uh-huh. And as time goes on, you get to the point where you're like, oh, I can run 50 to 100 miles. I mean, it's not easy. I'd say it's about 50% mental toughness that's required. What, but what like physically,
0: What mileage are you like, oh, shit.
1: Uh, I mean, all the time, you're like, oh, shit.
0: (laughs) God, I can't even. I listen to, so my sister, um, we both love Joe Rogan, and he obviously has a lot of those crazies on his show. David Goggins. Yes, and then there was a recent girl that just won. She just, like, crushed all the, she kicked all the guys' asses. Mm -hmm. I I, I should know her name, but I don't. But my sister was like, this is making me want to do one. I was like, absolutely not.
1: One of my claim to fame, or a little personal victory of mine, is I did beat David Goggins at 100K once.
0: That's insane. The
1: Hellgate 100K back in 2012,
0: I want to say. So you just go. Like, you do stop to pee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You stop, you stop to drink. Yeah. I, and
1: when you think running, I mean, don't think someone who's running at like a 5K pace. Yeah. This is 100 miles we're talking about. So they're just very fast slowly walkers. slogging along. I mean, it's like a fast hike. Okay. Really. Um, and so you just do that all damn day.
0: And like, what would be, you said 10 hours, 11 hours?
1: Uh, the 100 miler I did took 19.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Um. Yeah. Yeah, but it's usually around 24 hours or so for a 100-miler, depending on the, the course difficulty and the terrain and whatnot. Did you
0: feel a sense of accomplishment after?
1: Oh, my God, yeah. Well, first off, I collapsed to the ground as soon as I crossed the finish line because I was just like, oh, my God, get me off of my legs. Um, but, yeah, that was my first and and only 100-miler that I actually finished. I, I ran 200s. I finished one. Uh, the other one I had to drop out at mile 86 because I got some uh, peroneal tendon uh, tendonitis, Ugh, I think it was. Yucky. Yeah, that started around Here, mile fifty. Do this
0: like little windshield. There you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, they're just they're hard the entire time, but it's just keep going, and you'd be surprised what the human body is capable of hmm. if you have the mental fortitude to to push through the pain. And so you know you you get in that pain cave, and you just kind of put your head down, and you say, well. This sucks right now, but it's not always going to suck. Eventually, I will get to the end. And you are capable of doing much more than you think you can.
0: Would you recommend it for anybody?
1: I mean, I don't run anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you just deadlift. <laughs> I just deadlift and squat. And, you know, I, I play in the mountains. And Was
0: it worth the pain that your body felt?
1: I think so for the sense of accomplishment in terms of figuring out where my limits are and what I'm capable of doing. Um I started hearing uh, accounts of folks who were having, um, you know, atrial fibrillation or, uh, you know, people who were otherwise very healthy, you know, famous runners that were, you know, having heart attacks and, you know, otherwise having cardiac issues that you wouldn't expect to see. Yeah. And um, at the time I was working at the Food and Drug Administration, I was actually regulating cardiovascular devices. So seeing lots of clinical data about cardiovascular events. And it got me thinking about what is actually happening. Um, when you are putting the body and specifically the heart through so much use, um, in that aerobic state, um, especially at such high volumes and such high intensities, I think
0: and other dehydration potentially. Oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
1: When all those things come into play, I mean, I had a friend who finished a hundred miler and she crossed over the finish line. She was so dehydrated. She dropped into a coma for three days.
0: Oh my God. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just, it's insane what. People will put their bodies through, and and I was doing and what it our as bodies well. Can do. But it made me stop and think of like, what is the long term? What are the long term implications of yeah. what I'm doing here? And is it worth it for the glory of you know a podium finish here at this race, or you know being able to say that I went and did such and such? And okay. for me, the 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 cost and risk it, it, they didn't line up, and so um, I just decided to to kind of fade away from the ultra running just didn't want to take that risk myself you know there's a lot of left ventricular left ventricular enlargement that happens uh in folks that are you know doing such high mileage and high volume mm-hmm. and you know that's the heart adapting to the usage that you're putting it through and i was like eh, i don't know if i really want to risk that and Did so you i
0: have any symptoms like
1: no no oh I, I, I was totally fine but it was just reading you know thinking ahead i was like yeah this does take a lot of time. I don't really have any time free on the weekends. And, um, you know, I started getting into CrossFit around the same time. And so I was trying to run ultras and do CrossFit and all sorts of other things. And I was just like, something's got to give. Yeah. And so I, I did my five or so years of ultra running and then I, you know, moved on to the, the CrossFit world. And that's, you know, what I did for, a number. I mean, I still do CrossFit. I'm not like crazy competitive at it, but I do it to, to stay in shape and be able to go out and have fun here in the mountains in Colorado.
0: Hike 14ers and all the jazz. Oh, yeah.
1: Hell, yeah. What
0: would your biggest takeaway personally be from, like, if you had to say, this is what I learned from being an ultra marathoner.
1: What or is ultra, the, runner? ultra runner. an Ultra runner. That I'm capable of suffering really well. I can suffer with the best of them. You can put me into the shittiest scenario you could ever imagine. And I'll be like, you know what? <laughs> All right, let's do this. Okay, this is gonna suck for a while, but um, I'm I'm used to suffering. It's I I do it very well.
0: Spirit animal, bison.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is. I, I mean, I got a bison shirt on. I got a bison belt buckle.
0: <laughs> you I, work with bison. I work with
1: bison. I own bison. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Okay. So
0: you get to. It got hot, didn't it? A it little feels bit. Feels good though. It I wanted to good. talk really quickly about this. This. Uh, the, a forever debate of does coffee break our fast ah Let's just, <laughs> this is just an interjection because Bobby's fasting, so you're explain your fast that you i'm following. I'm
1: on day two of okay. a fast I'm probably going to do a three day fast i don't I wasn't really totally planning it out. I was just, uh, you know, came off of a vacation where I was sailing, uh, you know, out in Catalina and, you know, just yeah. eating like crap, drinking beers, you know, just totally being an asshole with my diet for the weekend <laughs> and get back and I'm like, ugh, I need a I need to hit the reset. And I found that the easiest way to hit the reset button is to, you know, do a couple of days fast.
0: So you do complete fast. This yeah. isn't intermittent fasting. Correct. So the difference of intermittent fasting, which I've talked about before for my listeners, is kind of a good way to dabble, is just timing how long you have to eat your meals. So anywhere from like 12 to six, do you respond better to intermittent fasting or fasting or is it?
1: I've, I've done intermittent fasting. Uh, I I generally do intermittent fasting. I generally don't eat breakfast. And so I'll do a 16, eight where I have an eight hour feeding window from like noon to 8 PM. And then I fast the rest of the time. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy for me to just skip breakfast and then eat at lunch. You know, Mm -hmm. socially that works very well and I get out the door quicker to get to work. Um, but I found that because I've done that for years, Um, now that I've been playing around with, you know, two to three day fasts, I do, them. it's probably about once a month now where I'll do two to three day fast. Um, it's, it comes super easy. Like Mm -hmm. I don't experience a lot of hunger, really no problems of fatigue or anything. It's just like, okay, I'm not eating. This is easy. It
0: became, and I do horrible with fasts. Yeah. That's what (laughs) you were saying. Yeah. So like the debate of do coffee. I offered Bobby coffee before we came up on the patio. And it's, I've just known, we're just coffee drinkers. Oh, hell yeah. So it was like this internal struggle he was having. Do I say (laughs) yes or no? And it was this debate of does drinking coffee plain um, secrete enough digestive enzymes to break the fast. So we decided no. <laughs>
1: I decided it's worth the risk. It's
0: worth the risk. Um, um,
1: when you're, and I think socially, and that's one of the things with mm-hmm. diet is that there's social implications for all of this as well. Yeah. And you can get so neurotic of like, what is the perfect solution, the perfect thing for me to be eating now? But if you're neurotic about all of that, and it leads to orthorexia and all these other, you know, type of eating disorders, it's just, it's, it's not, not worth, worth it. it. And so I've found that having a a good balance of the social aspects, like, yeah, I'm fasting, but eh, offer me a coffee. Yeah,
0: I'll say yes. Screw it.
1: Sure. Why not? Yeah.
0: And that's kind of your personality. If you're able to adapt. And I think the sooner somebody can tap into that, we just don't have trust in ourselves, like that we're going to do the right thing because we just have always been told we're doing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that that's just takes time. If you're listening to understand, like, what does work for you? So for Bobby, the fast works great. I think, you know, that's just your body does really well with it. But mm-hmm. for me, if I fast, um, whether it's, you know, psychological or it's actually physio- physiologically, it's so crazy. I actually see uh, muscle definition decrease mm-hmm. and I start to gain weight. And it's like my body has been there before in the negative way with yeah. eating disorders yeah. and diets. So I just know myself.
1: And it could be that I'm losing muscle definition when I do this. I'm, I'm not tracking do those t- things. Do you? Very carefully. um,
0: Have you touched or tracked your ketones at all?
1: Um, I have some of the keto strips that Mm -hmm. I use periodically. I don't find them to be terribly accurate. I don't really know. yeah. Yeah. Um, But I do find that because I have been playing around with keto for the last uh, few months that um, doing fasts, like two to three day fasts, they help me kick into ketosis quicker. So that's another, you know, in terms of hitting the reset button to get back into gear it's nice because I'll get this reset, this purge of mm-hmm. all the, you know, tomfoolery from the weekend and then boom, kick back into gear and I'll be in a strong state of ketosis that I can carry out for, for a while from here on out.
0: Yeah. And feel, and if you guys are interested in more of like burning carbs as fuel, burning fat as fuel, please go listen to, I had Dr. Mike, Mike T. Nelson. Mm. Did you listen to him talk at all at Paleo FX? No, I don't He's think so I saw awesome. his. Um, he just does a ton about metabolic flexibility and making sure that like, yes, keto could be great in therapeutic states or for like small doses, but we still want to be able to access carbs as fuel Absolutely. because when we have them, we don't want our body to shut down when we don't. So definitely yeah. go listen to his podcast. I think that'd be great. Okay. So let's get into the bison. Okay. into so, the bison. So you are in this world of paleo ancestral health, mm-hmm. uh, I think when we met, this was pre-Savory Institute. Yeah,
1: I think it was. I think it was just a couple months before I started working for Savory. Um, But yeah, I have been in the sustainability space or, you know, I've gone down the sustainable agriculture Uh, interest route for for a number of years now. And and that stemmed from the paleo world in terms of wanting to eat more grass-fed beef because grass-fed beef is healthier for you. It's got more, it's got a better omega-3, omega-6 profile than conventional beef. And it's raised in a way that's better for the animals. It's better for the environment. So I was living in DC and actually buying from Joel Salatin at Polyface Farm. If anyone's familiar with him, he was the, uh, he, calls himself the crazy lunatic farmer. Um, but he is in Virginia and he was profiled in the book omnivore's dilemma by Michael Pollan. And he was in the movie food Inc. If you've seen that documentary, I'm
0: reading Michael Pollan's new book right now. Oh, how to change your mind. Yes.
1: Oh yeah. It's my
0: family's book club book. Oh my God. (laughs) They were like, really Emily? Interesting choice. Oh,
1: I've been sharing that book with everyone. (laughs) I current my. Copy is currently with someone else because okay. it's fantastic. It's, I
0: can't wait. I mean, I really just yeah. started, so I'm excited. Well, if,
1: if we need to do any ayahuasca ceremonies out at my bison I ranch, wasca. just let me know. Okay, done. <laughs> done. Um, anyways, so I was buying from... Polyface in the D.C. area, and so really getting into sustainable agriculture and and what that means and why it's important for the animals and for the land and for the food we eat and, and everything in between. It's it's kind of this uh, this wonderful approach that solves a lot of these problems. Uh, but I was doing it for my personal health, and as time went on, I saw a podcast by a guy named Alan Savory, uh, and the podcast it, or sorry, not a podcast, a TED talk. And this TED Talk came out in 2013 by Alan, and it just totally blew me away. It was talking all about... What
0: was it called so people can Google? Oh, my God.
1: Uh, Can we put it in the show notes? Because I don't remember the exact title, but it's like reversing... You could probably Google. Climate change and desertification. Anyways, the the TED Talk was a light bulb moment for me because it talked about how Yes, grass-fed is healthier for the animals, but grass-fed can be done properly, which helps regenerate grassland ecosystems, but it can also be done poorly and deteriorate grassland ecosystems. And we see in so many different contexts people villainizing beef or or other livestock, saying that they're, they're killing the planet and there's this huge water footprint and they have these methane emissions and, you know, it's just killing our land. And that's true in certain contexts, but it's not true for all beef. It's not true for all livestock. What really matters is how are those animals managed on the land? And that's where you see either good outcomes or poor outcomes. And so Alan in his TED Talk showed these incredible before and after photos of lands that had been managed conventionally, you know, with just continuous grazing, which is what most grazing operations are. Even
0: with grass-fed beef. Yeah.
1: And so in... In grass-fed beef or in other beef it's you know animals out on pasture and they're just set out to pasture for however many months and then you know you round them up and you take them to market when you're done in those situations they are essentially being selective on the types of grasses they are eating so they are over grazing their favorite grasses and they are undergrazing their least favorite grasses um when they are uh, stepping on, you know, th- they're going to walk around different grasses if they're sticking up and in their way. Kind of like if you're if you're walking along in a field, you're going to step around certain things. Versus if you're bunched up together with a bunch of people, you're not going to really be as careful with where you're stepping and So you might trample down some things. It's the same thing with cattle. Um, or if you
0: go to a national park and they're like, do not step on this. Yes. This is restorative. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so essentially what it comes down to is... If you look at the um, the way that our grasslands evolved, they co-evolved with grazing animals. And this happened for millions and millions and millions of years. And this is what sustained life and, and healthy ecosystems on this planet for millennia before humans came and screwed things up with this modern is, agriculture. And
0: this is mainly because they eat the food and then they poop. Like, this is like the fertilizer type.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, a, a so simplified, simplified version simplified. of it is, yes, cows graze the grass, they fertilize it and urinate on it. So they're, they're feeding and watering the, the soil and the grasses. Um, and then the important part that these continuous grazing operations don't have is that they move on to a new piece of land mm. and they migrate elsewhere and then they come back eventually. Um, what we don't have in most grazing operations now is that movement when they're just set out to pasture and they're left there for a long period of time and they're selective over what they're eating, it's causing problems when they're overgrazing and undergrazing certain grasses and that they're not trampling down certain grasses close to the ground, which lets them reincorporate into the soil and it also creates like a natural mulch, which keeps the soil cool. Um, but the, the movement off of that land allowing the grasses to fully recover and so you get the grasses that regrow above ground, but also you get their root structures down below that need the chance to regrow as well. When you move the animals off that land and you plan your grazing in a way that honors the recovery rates that's necessary for the grass and the soil, um, you have wonderful outcomes where you end up growing more grasses. You get a preference towards perennial grasses, which are the ones that have deeper root structures, which means they can sequester more carbon out of the atmosphere because, I mean, you know, we all learned in elementary school or middle school or whenever that, you know, photosynthesis, what happens is you have, you know, sunlight and, you know, CO2 from the air. And then through chlorophyll, it photosynthesizes and it creates a carbohydrate, which is put down into the soil. I mean, this is a process that we've all known, you know, since we were kids. But that's what's happening on grasslands. Yeah. You know, we look at issues with climate change right now. There's so much carbon in the atmosphere. There's so much because of fossil fuel emissions, but also a big portion of that comes from agriculture as well. When you till the soil, you know, for most agricultural lands, when they till up the soil to plant these monocultures of corn and soy and wheat and you know everything else, there's a significant amount of carbon that comes out of the soil and is released into the atmosphere then. So anyways, we've got tons and tons of carbon in the atmosphere. A lot of it came from the soil originally. And we have this opportunity to draw down that carbon out of the atmosphere through photosynthesis in the grass and store it back into the soil where it originally came from. So
0: that it can reproduce the grass. And that
1: that all ties back to how are the animals on those lands managed, which is a piece that
0: I hadn't thought of before. Oh, I love it. And it's ironic because as somebody says, OK, I want to make this world a better place they see what the health or they see some study about eating less meat. That's mm-hmm. like their first step into, okay, I can do that yeah. because I, I have to do something. And this is something I can do. So whether they become vegan or vegetarian or they just lessen their consumption of meat, what's ironic is that they're actually increasing more more times if they're not quite aware. They're... Uh, they're consumption mm-hmm. of the things that are increasing more carbon. So like yeah. the wheat, the, the corn, the soy,
1: yep. those
0: things that are quick and easy to produce. Yeah, Because uh, what else do you feel, you know, even yeah. like the turkey burgers that are not turkey, like the non-turkey burger or <laughs> whatever Yeah, The, it the
1: impossible burgers the beyond or meats, beyond or or beef or whatever those things are. It's canola oil. It's
0: coming from a quick and easy agricultural Yeah. And most of that stuff
1: is GMO as well. Um, Yeah. Well, even if you are eating organic in a lot of situations, what most people don't realize is that, you know, when the organic standards originally came out, it was, it was the best we knew of, of how to say, we want agriculture to be what it used to be, where there's no fossil fuel inputs. There's, you know, no fertilizers and sprays. We just want healthy lands as they used to be. Over time though, industry has figured out how to find loopholes and find efficiencies in that system. And so what you see in many cases is this large scale industrial organic. And so you see these huge industrial farms that are monocultures that are technically organic. And that's you know why you're able to find cheap organic at Costco and Walmart or, or wherever else. That's why the prices have come down organic over the years, because it's gone to that industrial route. And in that industrial route, You're not seeing polycultures of all different types of of plants and animals living together with healthy biodiversity in this wonderful thriving ecosystem. You're seeing these huge monocultures of just a single species that's being planted on vast landscapes, which is still not good for the ecosystem. It doesn't help, you know, provide natural habitat for wildlife. It doesn't help sequester carbon back into the soil. Mm. It's, it's not helping retain water holding capacity in the soil through, you know, the way that these things are raised. And so I think ultimately what we need to get back to is eating food that represents and, and gives back towards healthy ecosystems. And, you know, I was, I was saying earlier in the podcast that I was, really into sustainable agriculture for many years. And one of those light bulb moments when watching Alan Savory's TED Talk was that like, oh, sustainability isn't enough. You know, sustaining is maintaining the status quo of the current system. And the current system that we're in is very broken. You know, atmospheric carbon is at four hundred and eight parts per million right now. Pre-industrial levels were at two eighty. They say that for a healthy you know, for us to save this planet should be at 350, realistically. So we're well past that. If it gets to 450, we're totally screwed. Um, But we're just, we're at this place where we we can't sustain what's happening. And so sustainability isn't good enough. We need to do better than that. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is not just maintain the landscapes that are out there, we need to regenerate them. We need to bring them back to health. We need to bring them back to full function so that they can provide the ecosystem services that they, were, that they have evolved to provide for this planet. And so now you're starting to see more and more folks start to talk about regenerative agriculture. And so regenerative is that next iteration of, of where I think our food and fiber production needs to go and more people need to get behind because that's what's going to save us from a lot of these global epidemics that we're seeing.
0: I love it. So we're going to jump into regenerative and fiber because this is like some kind of like the what to do nows. I want to come back one more time because I just know that this is something that I want people that listen to this podcast to feel like they have at least a good understanding when someone says like, I cannot believe you're eating meat, Um, you know, what would somebody do if they're like, "This is"? I, I just need an answer for somebody because I it's some. I think so many times my clients and my listeners, it's like, ah, oh, like get, I get overwhelmed because somebody's coming at me and there's vegetarians and mm-hmm. vegans, and just to have that conversation. Obviously, like sometimes it's a it's just like religion when mm-hmm. it comes to this. You have to be very tactful, and nobody should push anything on anybody. But to have a response from somebody that feels. Um, Really good. I want everyone to walk away from this podcast that says that if they do eat meat, regardless of uh, how regenerative or sustainable meat, what is like a good way to combat all the things that, especially the water talk, like the uh, the amount of water that is mm-hmm. taken for uh, cows to be mm-hmm. butchered for beef production. Beef well, production, yeah. most
1: of the statistics that are used to vilify livestock production are based off of feedlot that's it's feedlot information that's being extrapolated to all beef to to all bison to all to all animals in general, saying all meat is bad because of these contained animal feeding operations and you know the horrific uh situations that these animals are put through, which I think everyone could agree that that is what we do not want like we should all be against industrial feedlot meat production like Little that is just it's horrible meat. it's disgusting it's unfair to the animals it's terrible for the environment yeah. it prove it creates uh you know unhealthy food for the end user it's just bad news bears all around um so you know when folks talk about you know oh the methane that you know beef production has it's like well yeah that's when you have animals in this feedlot and they have these giant manure pits that are releasing off tons of methane. However, if you look at a healthy grassland ecosystem with animals being managed holistically in a regenerative fashion, there's plenty of peer-reviewed scientific, public, scientific literature that shows healthy grassland ecosystems that are managed holistically are a net carbon sink taking a full life cycle accounting of the enteric emissions. That's like the the burps that come out of the cows, uh, you know, any of the transportation of the the greenhouse gases emissions there. But then also in healthy soils, what you have are these things called methanotropes. They're methane oxidizing bacterial species. And what they do is they oxidize the methane that's in the atmosphere Mm -hmm. into the soil. And so when you have a healthy ecosystem, you're pulling more methane and more carbon out of the atmosphere then the cows are releasing. So it's a net sink. It's not a net source. Mm. But that's something that these people don't talk about because they just want to vilify and say and the, meat is murder and, and, it's, and it's bad for you.
0: So getting, and at the very end, listeners, I will make sure that we talk about kind of the tiers, like the steps to look for in meat, whether you're brand new to this podcast or this is a brand new topic for you, we can like figure out what is optimal and then work backwards based on budget. So I definitely will address that at the end. Sure. Let's, um, fiber is something that I feel like I know nothing about. And this is something that you have just done a panel on out to retailer, which yeah. is so rad. Uh, you just did a panel with Rob Wolf at paleo FX. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the next step. We have sustainable. We have obviously the feedlots and uh, then we step up and then we say, okay, let's get it grass fed. Uh, let's take this the next step and let's bring back our ecosystem to where it should be. Mm-hmm. Where do we go?
1: Well, and when we're talking fiber, we're not talking dietary fiber. Because at first you were <laughs> like, let's talk fiber. And I was like, oh, Emily, I'm not really good on dietary fiber. <laughs> no, 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 what? what are you asking no, me about? No, 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 <laughs> no. because I said food and fiber. Food yes. and fiber, yes. And yes. so when I say fiber, what I'm referring to is wool and leather. Um, you know, those are both agricultural products that come from livestock as well, which, you know, most people aren't really thinking about. Um, you know, I'd say the food space is very far ahead in you know, looking at you know, is it organic? Is it non-GMO? Is it 100% grass-fed? Yeah. Animal welfare approved, etc. Versus like when you go to REI and you buy a, a a wool base layer or you know leather boots or whatever it may be, do you know where those came from? Do you know how those affected the planet? Um, most people don't uh, because it's close impossible to know yeah. um, the the supply chains in the fiber industry, and, and leather is not technically considered a, a fiber because it's not woven or or, or knit, but you know, I'm, I'm lumping it into the fiber category. Just it's leather, wool, cashmere, those are all livestock byproducts. Um, and those too can be raised the wrong way. That degrades ecosystems, or they can be raised regeneratively, uh, which regenerates ecosystems. So um, there's, uh, there's, you know, when you go and you buy meat at the store, the hides from those animals are often just shipped off to, into the abyss and someone gets them and they turn them into leather products. Um, we think there should be Uh, a way for those that are raising animals the right way, that are practicing regenerative agriculture, that their leather should also be differentiated in the marketplace, that consumers should know like, hey, my leather boots or my leather handbag or, you know, my wool scarf or whatever this is, these came from regenerative agriculture as well. And Cordura
0: Um, is actually a considered uh, sustainable fiber, correct?
1: Is it? I'm not as familiar. Yeah. With so the, Cordura. your
0: cousin, who I got to meet at OR, oh yeah, they were really jazzed that the impact was made with Cordura. I was like, <laughs> yes, okay, great. <laughs> Maybe it screwed. is. I'm I'm more
1: in the livestock space, so no, I great. know that there's you know when it comes to to cotton and and other fibers that there are, are ways that those can be raised that are, are good and bad, but.
0: And let's talk about what Savory Institute does. Um, yes. Whether it's with the materials, the byproducts, mm-hmm. post meat. You know, we're getting the next step further and meat. So this is like this this cool process of the action step. Um how you're so close knit with Epic, who mm-hmm. everyone knows I'm obsessed with their chicken sriracha bars. So oh my God, it's <laughs> I love my sponsor Epic just because of how much good stuff they're doing. And they were one of the first to do it. I yeah. mean, it's so much more than just yeah. a high protein snack. It's Digging into the things that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, well,
1: it's 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 a wonderfully nutritious product, but it's also sourced properly, and that's what I really love about them. Um, but to to my connection and and whatnot. So I work for the Savory Institute, which I'm amazed that we've been talking on this podcast for so long. You know, we're gonna and have to plug some more in the <laughs> intro because this is
0: this is like the the bread and butter, or the gluten free bread and ghee. <laughs> gluten free bread and ghee.
1: You should put that on a t shirt. It rhymes. Um, anyways, the Savory Institute. Um, so we are a nonprofit organization. We're uh, located in Boulder, uh, but we work all across the globe. And what we do is we train farmers and ranchers and even pastoralist communities uh, in regenerative livestock grazing. So it's based off of the works of our founder, Alan Savory, uh, the guy whose TED Talk I was talking about earlier, um, he created... A, a methodology called holistic management. Um, and holistic management is a decision-making framework that allows farmers and ranchers to manage the complexities of managing land and livestock together. And so we teach them how to do this holistic planned grazing, which is essentially mimicking the ancestral movement patterns of grazing animals on grasslands that co together. And so... Millennia ago, before we screwed all this up, there were sufficient numbers of grazing animals and predators which would keep them in tightly bunched herds regularly moving. Over time, we domesticated our grazers and we killed off many of the predators. So our ecosystems have been decimated ever since. And agriculture looks nothing like what it used to be, or for what uh, grazing used to be. So we can't just put animals out to pasture and say oh we'll let mother nature do its thing you know because we've got buildings and roads and developments and and all sorts of things in the way there's also not enough predators to keep them uh to keep that proper dynamic of predator and prey um in play so what we do is we teach people how to plan the grazing of their animals in a way that mimics those movements. And so instead of wolves or grizzly bears or whatever being that prey that keeps them herded up together, instead we do that with portable electric fencing or with herding dogs or just herding them naturally walking with Are them. They
0: border collies? They could be. Australian Shepherd. (laughs) That's my favorite dog. So
1: we teach that to farmers and ranchers around the world Um, as a nonprofit. You know, so that's our our main thing is spreading regenerative agriculture, uh, trying to regenerate the grasslands of the world. Um, We were founded in 2009. And since then, we've trained uh, over 5,000 land managers and affected some 22 million acres of grasslands. So begun the restoration, and regeneration of those. Um, But there's a lot more work to be done. You know, grasslands, I feel, are a very neglected ecosystem on this planet. You know, here in Colorado, we're here in Denver and, you know, we look out to the west at the mountains and everyone's like, oh, the mountains are so beautiful. Let's go play in them. But if you look out to the east, there is just a ton of really incredible land out there. It looks like Kansas. It does. Pretty yeah. much,
0: you can see Kansas. Yeah,
1: but if you go out onto our bison ranch, you know, 30 minutes from here, we've got 8,000 acres of untouched short grass prairie. And we've got 400 bison on that land that are being managed holistically. They're beautiful. And it is just an absolutely beautiful place to visit. And it's not as, you know, eye-catching as looking out at the mountains, but there's it's when you, when you go out onto just like this vast landscape, and you just slow down, and you sit, and you listen. There's something about it that just energizes you, and it just feels right. Like there is something that we evolved with these landscapes. That if we just go out and try to appreciate them, you, you'll you'll figure out what I'm talking you'll feel about. It.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, even now listening, you're like burp, burp. you can hear like the planes and the sky, yeah. and it's normal. Yeah. But it's so peaceful.
1: It's it's so peaceful, yeah. and then you see the bison out there just grazing.
0: All the parasympathetic. Oh my
1: god, it's it's wonderful. But grasslands represent one third of our land surface on the globe. Like one third. That is a that's five mm-hmm. billion hectares. Like that is a tremendous amount of land. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, Some estimates say up to 70% of our Earth's grasslands are desertifying. They're degrading and dying off because they are being mismanaged, because they don't have the grazing animals there to keep them healthy and in place. And so there's a billion people on this planet whose livelihoods depends on grasslands. There's all the animals Whose natural habitat is grasslands, because I mean, it's one third of the Earth's surface. Um, there's all the carbon sequestration potential of you know what those can do in terms of reversing climate change. Um, you know, when you have more carbon in the soil, it improves the water holding capacity of soil. So there's an opportunity as well to to um, to help uh, lands become more resilient towards drought or flooding. Uh, there's there's all sorts of wonderful co-benefits that come along with healthy grasslands besides just healthy food production. Yeah. You can you can reverse climate change. You can create healthy food systems. You can improve uh, rural economics. Um, the Pentagon even came out and said that our depleting natural resources is the single greatest cause of instability in the Middle East. Wow. I mean,
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It
1: makes sense because you you no longer can have your livelihood and then you need to move to a new place. And that's where you have these conflicts, people fighting over land. And so if we can go back and start treating our lands properly, all these global epidemics that we're dealing with are tied back to how we treat our land. And us as consumers, and we make choices three times a day on the food we put in our body and the clothes that we wear. We have the potential to support regenerative agriculture where we can support the status quo of what's happening right now and degrading our landscapes. And so at the Savory Institute, we're not just training farmers and ranchers. I mean, that's, that's the core of what we do. But we're also now helping with, uh, you know, we're, we're developing programs with brands like Epic, um, how to bring out regenerative agriculture to the forefront so consumers can see, all right, I want to support regenerative agriculture. How do I know on the store shelf what is best? for me. You know, how do I know what was derived from regenerative agriculture? And so you look back to organic or you non-GMO, know, non-GMO or, or all these things. You get a stamp. You get a stamp. You get a certification. But over time, people figure out loopholes in this. And so when you have a checklist of this is organic or not, or, you know, this is the list of things you can do and this is the list of things you cannot do, people are going to find ways to game the system. Land regeneration should be fairly simple. It should be, is the land getting better? Yes or no. And so rather than looking at practices, what we're really focused on is outcomes. So we've developed a a program. It's called Land to Market, where we are measuring outcomes on lands And looking at them over time and seeing is the land getting better looking at a variety of indicators both above ground and below so how much grass is being grown what's the water infiltration rate how much carbon is in the soil and we're looking and we'll see if that trends positive over time that's regenerative and i think that the consumer should be able to tell that at the storefront i mean i know personally what brands to follow because I'm in these supply chains and I know who the producers are and I know what their practices are and how they graze their animals, if they're regenerative or continuous grazers or or whatever it may be. Um, But most folks don't. And if we want to really change this on the global scale, we need to start having mechanisms in the marketplace that, you know, we voting with our dollar on a day-to-day basis, that sends signals back to the farmers that says, hey, there there is a market for this. Like, we want this. Yeah. And so when we have that demonstrated marketplace, more farmers are going to switch their practices from the conventional old school way more towards these regenerative ways. And so, uh, you know, we're really excited for this land market program. Actually, Epic is going to be the first product that has a seal on it that says ecological outcomes verified, EOV. And what that means is that we have measured the outcomes on the land of when this animal was raised and we have confirmed that it has helped regenerate the planet.
0: That is so incredible. Yeah.
1: And that'll be coming out later this year, actually. So yes. it's coming out soon.
0: I cannot wait. We've been
1: developing this program for like three or four years now. yeah. And so Epic will be the first. They've been key drivers of this program with us helping us co-design it. And so that's why, you know, you see me with Epic folks all the time is because we have a very close working relationship.
0: They're wonderful. Yeah.
1: They also, I mean, just in general, even though it's not said on their packaging, most of, a lot of their protein comes from Savory's global network. You know, we've trained Thousands of people all around the world. We've got 35 hubs that are, you know, regional learning centers where we're training farmers and ranchers. Whether it's gauchos in Patagonia or the Maasai in Kenya or herders up in Norway or cowboys here in Colorado, Um, there's people that are practicing holistic management and holistic plant grazing all around the world. And you know, we know who these people are. Mm -hmm. Epic knows who they are because they've come to us and said, "Hey, we we support regenerative agriculture. We want." to we want to source this for our products and there are other brands as well that are doing that um i'll give a shout out to the, uh, the others in the land of market program so Applegate, who you know you see at the store very often they've Love made a big Applegate. commitment to support um regenerative ag and to improve their sourcing um zook's natural pet foods oh, yeah. actually you know what you feed your dog Just matters as, as well yep. um they're actually a durango colorado company and so they're uh, some amazing. awesome folks um and then there's a new company um Called Union Snacks that just came out, uh, just launched earlier this year, but they're fully committed towards regenerative ag as well. And so these I are like it. the big brands that yeah. are supporting this in a big way. But regionally, there's other small brands that are working with our local learning centers to sure. um, you know to improve their supply chains as well.
0: I just think it's so cool that you saw this guy on TED Talk and now you are working with Saber, like Savor Institute is your full time gig. How cool, how cool is that?
1: Well, I mean, I saw it and I saw the potential of like oh. You know, I got into paleo and searching for grass-fed beef because of my personal health. And I saw this and realized, I'm like, oh, there's so much more to it than mm-hmm. that. We could, The health of the planet depends on how we treat our grasslands and the choices that we make on a day-to-day basis. And all these other global epidemics that we're dealing with, these all tie back to how we treat our grasslands. And so it, I it was just this aha moment, and I knew that that's what I had to do as my life's work. So yeah, now I'm uh now I, I thankfully I get to it. work for Savory. I, I do the fundraising. So, you know, I do a lot of grant writing and our online fundraising and programs. Let's and all talk that jazz. about
0: something that's coming up. Ooh, yeah. There's something huge. We're gonna post this podcast today. This is so good. We're okay. gonna make it happen. Sweet. This is, people, this is this is basically live from <laughs> from the rooftops. Are we live streaming? Um, because we you know, first off, what's we wanna talk about this fundraiser that you're doing launching Monday. Yes. How do they get involved? And then we'll finish with how can somebody outside of helping and supporting Savior Institute and all the incredible work you're doing and supporting brands like Epic, like Applegate, where kind of that tier that we talked about. Mm -hmm. So let's first talk about this fundraiser. How can people get involved?
1: Uh, Yes. So on Monday, September 4th, I'm not sure when this podcast will go out. I think after that, but we are launching a huge giveaway. Um, It's the Ultimate Regenerative Giveaway. And so what we're doing is we're, one lucky winner will win a trip for two to Rome Ranch. Rome Ranch is Epic's um, uh, Regenerative Agriculture Showcase.
0: R-O-A-M. R-O-A-M. And they have MPACs. I they just do have M so that right. So people can work yeah, out so at Rome, Rome Ranch. So you can go
1: work out with your PAC <laughs> at Rome Ranch. They've yes. got... Bison and chickens and turkeys and ducks and honeybees and I know they're <laughs> going to get beef and pork at some point. It, Katie and Taylor, the founders of Epic, they bought this ranch uh, I think early last year, mm-hmm. and they have just gone whole hog—no pun intended—on <laughs> regenerating this landscape and you know practicing holistic management. Saver Institute. We have gone out there and we've set up the the transects, you know, the the plots for collecting the data. So we've got you know the time point zero of what this land looked like, and we'll be able to measure that over time. It's it's just this wonderful, uh, beautiful ecosystem in Texas Hill Country. So as part of the giveaway, you get a, a an all inclusive trip for two out to Rome Ranch. So you stay in the yurt out there at Rome. You get to you know see the bison. I can't promise that you'll be able to pet them but um you know you'll see the bison they are wild animals people um you could probably harvest your own chicken i mean there's all sorts of things that you can do out at rome it's it's so cool love that place um
0: i love it but we
1: wanted to have more than just a trip so we're also going to be giving you a Big green egg grill. And so, anyone who is a serious griller or barbecue aficionado knows what a big green egg is. I don't it's
0: know. This what? I, well, I don't grill. I mean, I, <sighs> I've used the grill for grilled peaches like four times in my life. And then I. Jesus. Christ. I know. I know. I'm, okay. done, I'm well, sorry.
1: Any serious barbecue aficionado knows what a big green egg But for those my of you that don't like my for for, for Emily's sake, I'm going to describe it here. It's this uh, Kamado style ceramic grill. It looks like a giant green egg, but it's it's well known in the industry as just the best grill you can get your hands on. It's like, it's a grill, it's a smoker, it's an oven. You can, like, have this super finite temperature control on what you can do with it. You can make anything, and you make it perfectly. It's just, it's this incredible grilling implement. They're super freaking expensive. Um, So I, I got us a big green egg into the giveaway. So you'll get a big green egg because, you know, if you support regenerative agriculture, I imagine you've got some, you've probably got some good grass fed meats that you're out there grilling. So, you know, here's the best grill that you can do. Um, So on that vein, uh, we're also hooking you up with a cooler full of regeneratively raised meats. Mm. And so these meats come from White Oak Pastures. Uh, That is our savory hub down in Bluffton, Georgia. Epic gets a lot of their protein from white oak. Um, Will Harris is the the farmer out there. He's been featured on like NPR's Planet Money and and like all these different news publications. He he talks a lot like Foghorn Leghorn uh, <laughs> when you hear him talk. And and Will, if you're listening to this, my apologies. <laughs> I want to <be> meet Will. <laughs> oh my God, he's so funny. Uh, but he's a fantastic, Great. fantastic farmer who's doing some incredible work. So. We're going to give you a cooler full of meat for you to grill on that big green egg. The cooler is going to be an Otterbox 45 liter venture cooler. They have so it's coolers. Otterbox? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you know, everyone knows Yetis and Yetis are awesome. But, you know, over the years, more and more brands have come out with, you know, coolers that can perform that well and even, you know, taking it a step further. So Otterbox has this venture cooler that it can hold ice for 14 days. Uh. It's got a modular system, so you can put, like, all these different components and trays, and, like, you can do a million things. You can customize it for whatever your adventure is. Um, so anyways, you've got this really badass cooler filled with the the highest That's quality of- meat you can get your hands on uh, for you to grill on this big green egg grill um, and, and a trip out to Rome Ranch, but then also recognizing that regenerative agriculture is food and fiber. We wanted to throw something in that also represented that fiber space. So uh White Oak Pastures has hundred percent grass fed cowhide rugs that they make. No. So they are processed there on farm. They are these beautiful rugs Uh. that come from hundred percent grass fed cows to make sure that they're not wasting anything. Uh. They were regeneratively raised. So it's this beautiful cowhide rug. Would it go
0: well, right, and when you walk into the gym um, um, that that might probably that might i'll, I'll good, show you pictures okay, of it do.
1: oh man it's awesome we have one in the main entryway of our office i've got one at home we've got one out at the ranch at the you know when you we have this really nice glamping tent where we hold like mm. farm to table dinners so and stuff um it's this rug is super cool and it's got an amazing story behind it too so like every day you have this reminder underfoot of like yeah i supported regenerative agriculture oh, that's through, so rad. you know where please this came send from me a link so anyways that's That's the whole package. It's it's the rug. It's the cooler. It's It's the meat. It's the grill. It's the trip. You know, so the total package is worth like four thousand dollars. So how
0: do they get involved? Yes.
1: So Savor Institute is a nonprofit, and so you know we need to fundraise periodically because to do our work, donations are what you know keep the lights on and keep us you know training more farmers and ranchers. Um, So for every dollar you donate, you get an entry into the giveaway so the more you donate the more entries you get so you can donate a dollar you can donate ten dollars you can donate a hundred dollars $1, a thousand dollars like however many entries you want that's how many uh you know just however much you donate that's how many entries you get and so this this giveaway will last uh it'll run through october 31st and then we'll randomly pick a winner from all those entries and uh we'll we'll announce it and you'll get
0: all that stuff. I love it. Where do all they fund r- where do they go? What's the link? So if
1: you go to our website, it's slash giveaway slash giveaway
0: so,
1: Yep. Should be easy to do and, and uh, share
0: it, donate, share.
1: Donate, share. You can, there will also be a thing where you can share with your friends to earn more entries. So if your friends sign up, you get I some more it. entries there, but you know, it's a, it's an awesome chance to win all this incredible stuff. Mhm. But you're also giving back and supporting regenerative agriculture in the process. So regardless, it's a win win. And you're
0: learning about cool products in, yeah. in the meantime, because I didn't even know about any of this. Yeah. So that's
1: great. Well, and that's the thing. I think regenerative agriculture is, is just coming to the forefront. Yeah. Um, you know, more, you're starting to hear more and more of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm paying attention more closely, I think because I'm in the livestock space. So I can see the folks that are starting to talk about it, but it's coming to a head. Yeah. Like, you know, in three years everyone is going to be talking about regenerative agriculture um just like i remember being you know in the paleo scene in 08 and i was like what's this paleo thing and now you've got like you know whole 30 being talked about on dr oz and you know it's just it's blown up and it's everywhere um and so the same thing is going to be the case with regenerative agriculture and i think that's fantastic because that's absolutely what we need um you know we, we this the way we're treating this planet is a ticking time bomb and uh we need to turn back the clock very very quickly and this is our greatest hope to do so
0: bobby gill it's been such a pleasure i always ask spirit animal but we checked that off the list
1: i i would say it's do you the think it's full bison i think it is i mean i used to even have a big beard too yeah uh so <laughs> the bison loved coming up to me and i think because they thought i was one of them <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what, it's actually, I I wanted to say this before we closed out, my favorite um, video that Epic ever put, and it's very powerful, and it's very intense, but it was actually about the bison, and I don't know what it, I think if you just Googled Epic Bar Bison Hunt, or bison. Uh, it was
1: Bison Field Harvest, it's a video they did with one of their producers, North Star Bison, in uh, Wisconsin, and what they do out there, because bison are wild animals, and you know, when you send cattle off to get processed, you know, you put them on a truck and you drive them wherever. And there's been a lot of efforts to improve, uh, you know, to lower the stress levels of cattle in those situations. Mm -hmm. But bison are very wild. And so they don't handle that process very well. Um, And so with bison, what some people will do is they will process them in the field. So they will field harvest, which is, um, you know, a, a single rifle shot, to uh, you know, that takes them down immediately. So to their very last breath, they are grazing on grass, living, you know, their perfect life, and, and so they experience the, no stress whatsoever in and any of this. It gives them
0: the tribe or mm-hmm. the herd a time, like a little bit of a moment together. Like that was the most powerful thing. Yeah. It was like,
1: and and I think really coming back to the full system of you know the the circle of life. It's birth, growth, death and decay yeah. and that that death and decay is what allows new life to come about like that is what we are a part of and there's no avoiding that everything that eats is eaten like healthy ecosystems need animals to survive death is a part of that and i think it's easy to put your blinders on or stick your head in a hole and just be like la 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 i'm not going to i'm not going to pay attention to this i don't want to Focus on the death part. I don't want to focus on any of that. But that's the reality of it. And I think the the more you acknowledge that and the closer you get to that and you understand that, you're going to appreciate the sacrifice that that animal gave even more. And when you appreciate the sacrifice that that animal gave, you're going to care how that animal is treated its whole life. And I think that's a piece that people are really missing is they just don't focus on how are we treating our animals? What are the lives that they are living? And how does that affect Everything else in all these, in you know, infinitely complex uh, processes that are happening all around the globe. I may mean, think it was John Muir that said, "When you pull on a string in nature, you find that everything is connected," and it's so true. so true. Everything is so connected, and the decisions that we make every single day, when we vote with our dollar on where our food comes from, where our clothing comes from, we are make we are voting to support regenerative agriculture or to support the status quo. And I would like to argue that more people should be supporting regenerative agriculture because it is truly our only hope.
0: And it's so easy to be oblivious or close, you know, look the other way because it's too expensive, too much of a hassle, but every little thing counts. So go donate Um, even $5, $50, whatever you can share with all your friends, if everyone in your network did a dollar can you imagine the impact that we have so Bobby Gill, thank you so much thanks Em